Good evening, everyone. Welcome to Grace Church this evening. It's nice to see all of you. And we're so honored that you would join us here for midweek Bible study. And uh, for those of you that are joining us via live stream and Facebook Live, we'd like to say welcome to you as well. I do have several announcements for you this evening, so uh, please give these your attention. First of all, uh, Friday, November 4th, the Louisiana District Choir will be singing at the First Pentecostal Church of Denham Springs at 7 p.m. And uh, this coming Sunday, the 6th, we have several things going on. Uh, first of all, daylight savings time will end, so make sure you get that right. I always like the fall back better than the spring forward. Just my personal preference. You're entitled to be wrong if you don't like that one. But um, anyway, so make sure you got that down. Also, Sunday, November 6th, our veterans will be honored in our 11 o'clock service. And also, this coming Sunday, Brother Dave would like to meet with all of the parents of our youth after altar service in classroom two. So immediately after our altar service is over this coming Sunday, all the parents of our youth, please meet with Brother Dave in classroom two. I believe that's in regards to upcoming uh, North American Youth Congress. So um, it's a red letter time for our youth. And um, if you have youth that are able to go, I highly recommend it. It's a great thing. And if your child ages 11 and up would like to participate in the youth choir for our Christmas service here at Grace Church, please contact either Sister Sherry Bunch or Sister Michelle Grone. And then finally Tuesday, November 8th is election day. So uh, please keep all of those announce, announcements in mind. Does anybody else use a to-do list to start their day or week? Anybody? I see a few hands out there. I do sometimes. I don't all the time. But there is a good bit of satisfaction in crossing things off of the to-do list. I like that part. Anybody have a to-don't list? You should think about having one of those too, a to-don't list, especially if you've been through a hard season in life. Um, you should pay attention to your to-don't list. Whenever we go through challenging seasons, there's often a pressure or a push to get back to normal, uh, to get back to how things were before, to get back to how I was before. And I understand the value in that. It's just that it's not always wise. Because hardships change people. And you're typically not the same person after you've come through a storm or a trauma or a difficult season. You're probably not the same person that you were, you were before. So instead of returning to old patterns, old behaviors, old habits, God often will give us opportunities whenever we come out of those types of seasons to just do a reset on life. And there are likely some things that you were doing before the hard times that you shouldn't start up again. Whenever the Jews were returning to, I'll use this term, normal life after their season of captivity, the prophet Haggai had a message for them. He said, now this is what the Lord Almighty says. Give careful thought to your ways. You have planted much, but harvested little. You eat, but never have enough. You drink, but never have you, your fill. You put on clothes, but you are not warm. You earn wages only to put them in a purse with holes in it. 
I don't know about you, but Haggai's words seem like metaphors of dissatisfaction to me. I keep eating, but I'm still hungry. I keep drinking, but I'm still thirsty. I keep working, but I have little. In other words, if you do what you did before the hard times, and if you do that and it's so unfulfilling, then why would you go back to it? One way you can give some careful thought to your ways is to make a to-don't list, not a to-do list. You know, some of the things that we do aren't necessarily wrong. Nothing sinful about them. They could be, but maybe spending a lot of time on social media, things that you watch, things that you buy, you don't necessarily need to resume them. So add them to your to-don't list. You know, after a hard season, God wants us to rebuild our lives and he wants us to come out of it better and healthier than we ever were. But we have a part to play in that recovery. And part of that is to take the time to evaluate everything and maybe write some things on your to don't list. God bless you this evening. Thank you, Jason. Good evening, everybody. Great to see all of you here tonight, as always, on Wednesday night study. And uh, I'm excited about tonight and uh, excited about seeing all of you to our guest here tonight. Welcome. We're so glad you're here tonight. Thank you for being with us. And uh, as always, those joining on Facebook Live and live stream, thank you for that as well. Uh, I'm going to ask you to stand tonight, if you would, before we uh, go to our our study for tonight. Uh, Several things I'd like for you to help me pray about tonight before we move forward. And that is, uh, of course, all of our youth group is next door out in the Alexander Center with uh, youth service. And uh, they have some special speakers uh, for that occasion tonight. Let's pray for them. Also, kids' churches upstairs, let's pray for them. And uh, also, I understand that Brother Wayne Cooper had surgery today, has come out a bit. And, uh, but let's pray that God would certainly keep his hand on him. And also, Brother Steve Spears. Uh, all of us know Brother Steve and Sister Terry Spears. They've ministered here numerous times in the past. Uh, Brother Steve passed away today. And uh, I'd like for us to pray for Sister Terry and her family, that God would certainly be with them through this very trying time. So if you would, let's take a moment. Let's go to the Lord in prayer tonight. Let's pray for this presentation we're about to make, that the Lord would have his way here tonight. Jesus, we love you tonight, and we're thankful for this opportunity to call on you, to uh, call on your mercy, to plead for your kindness. I pray, God, tonight for these needs. I pray for the Spears family pray God that you'd be with this with with them through what is a very difficult time I pray God that you would comfort sister Terry and her family that you would be there for them that you would walk through this dark time with them we pray for brother Wayne and certainly pray for our youth group our kids ministry that you would be with them tonight bless them I pray bless this service the remainder of it that the word of God would speak to our hearts we ask it in Jesus name and everybody say amen Thank you for standing, and you may be seated. I want to comment uh, before we launch into our study tonight. We had a 
wonderful, wonderful service here this past Sunday. Brother Dave Bunch was our speaker, as you will remember. And um, he talked to us about prophecy. The title of his message, I believe, was The Third Warning. And um, <clears throat> when he was going specifically into the verse of Scripture that talks about surfeiting, he commented, that's not a word we use very much, but it's essentially partying. Just people, it's, it's riotous living. Uh, partying sometimes can even lead even further into that kind of thing. And uh, I mentioned to him last night at prayer that uh, one of my huge takeaways from his presentation Sunday is that I want to be, I want to make sure that I'm not one of those people that's fulfilling end time Bible prophecy and that will contribute to the rapture of the church happening. Um, I want to be found as someone looking for the appearing of the Lord Jesus Christ. I, I want to have my head up. He mentioned that Sunday. But I think it behooves all of us to look at our, our lifestyle to make sure that there's nothing we do, as, as Jason just mentioned, to put on our to-don't list. I do not want to be a part of Bible prophecy that causes the rapture of the church to come and then all the ensuing judgment after that. I want to be raptured out of here, the Bible said, in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Amen. Everybody say amen. amen. Thank the Lord. wanted to mention that. Uh, Jason did give us a good segue into our presentation here tonight. I've been talking for the past several Wednesday nights about the principle of the path, a book written by Andy Stanley. Um, tonight is the, the presentation, as far as I'm concerned, that this whole idea that he writes about is based on. And uh, he calls this the great disconnect. And I have been concerned, I've been concerned for a number of years in talking to people, working with people, especially counseling with people through the years, that when you suggest things, recommend things, even maybe rebuke sometimes, uh, that people don't get it, they don't understand it. I've been concerned in teaching this material tonight that uh, there's a great disconnect, that people don't see this as relevant in their own life. They don't see it as really necessary to even pay that much attention to, even though when their lives end up in places that they didn't choose to go, you see them, proverbially speaking, if you will, standing around scratching their head saying, what happened? I had plans. I had intentions. I had goals. But that's not where I ended up at, and I don't understand what happened. That's the crux of this presentation that we're doing on Wednesday night, and we'll continue for the next uh, couple of three weeks. But tonight is the heart of it. Tonight is the core of it, as far as I'm concerned, and it's called the Great Disconnect. I want to begin tonight by saying there are three things that I would like to point out to all of us about being lost literally lost. First of all, I don't think there's anybody here tonight that gets lost on purpose. In other words, 
I'm going to take a trip to visit somebody in Kansas City, and along the way, I intend to get lost. I intend to drive four or five hours out of my way in order to get to my destination. Nobody does that. So we never get lost on, on purpose. In fact, just the opposite is true. And since we know we are likely to get lost, especially if we're going somewhere that's unfamiliar, we work hard at paying attention and following directions. But we just don't do well most of the time in unfamiliar territory. So first of all, we don't get lost on purpose. The second thing that I've learned about getting lost is that I never know exactly when it happens. I never know when I've crossed the line between I know exactly where I am and I have no idea where I am. I never know the precise moment in which I've made an incorrect turn or taking a wrong route somewhere. There's never a moment when a light goes off in my brain and I think, I just got lost. If I back up 100 feet, then I'll be unlost. Being lost is something that dawns on me. Usually after I've been lost for well, I don't know how long I'm lost before I realize I'm lost, which is the point I'm making. The third thing about getting lost, the road I'm always the road I'm on always everybody listen to this it's, it's, it's simple, but it's profound. The road I'm on always determines where I end up, always. Does that make sense to anybody here tonight? So it really doesn't matter where I intended to be, the path I take determines my ultimate destination. Plans, intentions, marital expectations, nice thoughts to be better spiritually, None of that matters. I always end up where the road I've chosen to travel takes me. And that, as you know by now, is a theme of what I've been teaching for the past several Wednesday nights. So let me talk to you tonight about my perspective. I often tell people, I say it sometimes even from the pulpit, from the chair I sit in, uh, meaning the pastor's chair, I'll just call it from where I sit. My observation, my experience indicates to me that humans have a propensity for choosing paths that do not lead in the direction they want to go. For much of our decision making, we lean hard into our intentions and pay very little attention to the direction of the path we've chosen. I see this all the time. I see it even with smart people. I see it all the time. And it breaks my heart to see how many people I speak with who don't connect the dots between the choices they make and the outcomes they experience. They don't connect the dots. I introduced that 
thought tonight. They don't understand. They don't get it. They, they don't get it. There's people sitting here tonight that will listen to this and not get the point. I want to say it again. It breaks my heart to see how many people I speak with who don't connect the dots between the choices they make and the outcomes they experience. They've come to believe the popular notion that as long as their intentions are good, as long as their hearts are in the right place, whatever that means, as long as they do their best and try their hardest, it doesn't really matter which path in life they take. They believe somehow they will end up in a good place no matter what happens. But we all know or should know that life doesn't work that way. So here we go. There's an amazing piece of literature that's tucked away in the book of Proverbs that illustrates this disconnect better than anything else I know of. In Proverbs 7, Solomon described an encounter that he witnessed from the vantage point of his upstairs window. Because he was physically removed from what he saw, he could not hear what the characters were saying to each other. But he provided us with their conversation as he imagined it. It's also possible and most likely probable that this account is a parable based upon his personal experience. So Solomon has been down this road before. He's been down this road before many times. So whether autobiographical or just an observation, his story provides extraordinary insight into our tendency to disconnect direction from destination. Solomon wrote in Proverbs chapter 7, verses 6 and 7. He said, At the window of my house I looked through my casement, and behold, among the simple ones, I discovered among the youths a young man void of understanding. Solomon looked out his window and saw an inexperienced young man. We don't know how old this young man was, but from what we will learn later, we know that he had at least gone through puberty. Solomon described this young man as simple and lacking judgment. You may ask, how did he know? The answer is, all young people lack judgment. They are all simple and they're all naive. All youths lack judgment because judgment requires time and judgment requires experience. Young people haven't lived long enough to acquire the experience that can produce good judgment. And I say can because experience doesn't always lead to good judgment. But experience is certainly critical to good judgment. There's a lady named Shantai Feldhahn wrote a book called For Parents Only. And she cites a study in her book claiming that the frontal lobe of the human brain doesn't fully develop until a person is in their mid-20s. The frontal lobe of the brain is where our reasoning skills reside. This explains why... Adolescents often engage in high-risk activities. They don't make the connection between their choices and the potential consequences. 
All the parents say amen. The point is that all youths lack judgment that can come with age and experience. Don't always happen, but it can. This seemingly insignificant detail is actually important to the narrative, as you're about to discover. In verses 8 and 9, Solomon went on to say, Passing through the street near her corner, and he went the way to her house, in the twilight, in the evening, in the black and dark night. Now, you don't have to be a Bible scholar to anticipate where this story is leading. A young man cruising the streets at sunset, heading in the direction of a specific woman's home as well as we can as well as we will see in just a moment he knew who this woman was and he also knew that this woman was married and apparently he knew that her husband was out of town and she would be prowling around the street corner looking for literally another victim that could be exploited that alone should have stopped him in his tracks but it didn't in fact, that was the very reason, that was the very reason he was headed in her direction. He was confident that this was going to be a night to remember and perhaps one to brag to his friends about the next day during PE. Meanwhile, back at the window, Solomon was watching this young man and understood that he was about to be eaten alive, if you will. Why? Because there was a marked contrast between what this kid was expecting to experience and what Solomon knew he was about to experience. Why? Because the older, wiser king understood from experience where this path leads. The adolescent was preoccupied with what he believed would be an exciting event, a night of passion, a night disconnected from every other event in his life. But Solomon knew better. This night was not an isolated event, disconnected from all other events in this young man's life. This night was a step down a path, a path like all paths that lead somewhere. This particular path had a very predictable destination. Are y'all on board? But you don't need to be the wisest man in the world to know that. You could predict the outcome of this encounter with knowing with nothing to draw on but your own experience or the experience of someone you know it's funny how that works what is so obvious to those watching often escapes us the story continues proverbs chapter 7 10 through 12 and behold there met him a woman with the attire of an harlot and subtle of heart she is loud and stubborn. Her feet abide not in her house. Now is she without, now in the streets, and lieth in wait at every corner. Solomon knew a thing or two about women. Y'all remember that? He was married to a whole bunch of them. A lot of women. And then he had a whole lot of mistresses, concubines, on the side. A whole bunch of them. Solomon knew a thing or two about women. He made his share of poor choices himself in this arena. He knew from experience that this woman was toxic. And having been there himself, he also understood why this young man couldn't see it. Verse 13, the 
Bible said, so she caught him and kissed him with an impudent face and said unto him, I have peace offerings with me this day. Have I paid my vows? I'm going to come back to that in just a moment. Therefore came I forth to meet thee, diligently to seek thy face, and I have found thee. Let me spend a little time explaining what just happened here. When this woman said she had fellowship offerings at home, she was essentially saying, look, I'm not a prostitute. I have plenty of money at home, and I'm not after your money. I want you. She was also implying that she had been to the temple and had everything squared away between her and God. That's interesting to me. She took her sin bucket, if you will. She took her sin bucket and dumped it out at the altar. And now she was ready to fill it up again with this young man. Listen to pastor tonight. Everybody please listen. We Christian folk have, an, an, have unknowingly made the altar a place, a place of convenience. We pray something along the lines of, Jesus, please forgive me of all my sins. We're taught that at that point he takes out his big eraser and cleans our sin slates. Like the woman in the story, we are quick to ask for forgiveness, but slow to actually repent and walk away from our sin. Granted, that whole approach is absurd when you think about it, and it is certainly an insult to God, but it works for us. Out of this, out of this, we get both the relief that comes with the forgiveness and the thrill that comes with sin. So of course this young man wasn't thinking about the absurdity of her religious system. He was thinking, if only my friends could see me now. At that point he pumped up the volume of his carnal desires to attend and pinched himself to be sure this wasn't a dream. Even if Solomon was to call down from him from the window to warn him, the young man wouldn't have heard him over the seductive words he heard next. In verse 16, she said, I have decked my bed with coverings of tapestry and carved works with fine linen of Egypt. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh and aloes and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love until the morning. Let us solace ourselves with loves. And in case he was wondering, she went on and added, for the goodman of the house, my husband is not at home. He's gone on a long journey and has taken a bag of money with him and would be gone home until at the day and will come home at the day appointed. Well, that pretty much clinched it right here. Not only did he have, he, he didn't have to worry about her husband catching them, but this guy could even hang around for breakfast, watch a little television in the morning. He could spend the entire weekend this just keeps getting better from his perspective, that is. But Solomon saw this situation in an entirely different light. Listen to what Solomon said in verse 21. With her much fair speech, she caused him to yield. With the flattering of her lips, she forced him. He goeth after her straightway. Notice, as an ox goes to the slaughter, 
or a, as a fool to the correction of the stocks. What? An ox headed where? Wait a minute, Solomon. Don't you mean like a celebrity going into a club? An ox to the slaughter? Really? It certainly doesn't look that way to the casual observer. And it certainly doesn't look that way to our young friend. But Solomon was not finished with his creative use of language. He had two more animal analogies for emphasis. Verse 22, he goeth after her straightway, as an ox goeth after the slaughter, as a fool to the correction of the stocks, till a dart, a deer, strike through his liver, as a bird hasteth to the snare, and knows not that it is for his life. In case you didn't get the ox to the slaughter analogy, how about the deer stepping into a noose with a bloodied arrow hanging from his bowels? Still don't get the picture? How about this? This kid was like a clueless bird caught in a snare. Solomon's point, as if he had made it abundantly clear, was that this young man was throwing away his entire future and possibly his life. Of course... Were the, young man, were the young man able to read Solomon's mind, he would have shouted back at Solomon and said, you're sounding just a whole lot like my dad. And Besides, what does an old man know about love and passion anyway? This isn't just a date. It's a once-in-a-lifetime event. I'm not an ox, I'm not a deer, nor am I a bird. So Solomon, you just mind your own business. At this point in Solomon's narrative, he turned a corner and addressed his more broader audience. These next words are directed to you and me. He said, verse 24, Hearken unto me now, therefore, O ye children, and attend to the, voice, the words of my mouth. Let not thine heart decline from, to her ways. Go not astray in her paths. That's our word, the principle of the path. That's our word. Don't go down her path. This, this was a path. It was not an event. It was a path that led to a destination. Everybody to understand that. I've been saying it with all of my heart in, in presenting this material. We don't understand that our day-to-day -day decisions, our to-do list, and all of these things, it's not events in our life. It's not just going through life. It's a path that leads somewhere. <clears throat> People who are married have a very difficult time seeing this presentation. They have a hard time seeing this analogy that I can still do things I want as long as my spouse don't find out about it. I can still, I can still go places and all that as long as the pastor don't find out about it, as long as my family don't find out about it. One of these days, that it's not an event you're doing. It, it's not something just in the dark. It's a path. And somewhere along the line, there's, that path is going to expose you because of where you end up at. You can't deny the destination. The same thing is true for parents. We all look at these sweet little babies. I see Avery back there. Um, you say, how in the world could this 
child ever turn out to be anything more than adorable and sweet and all of that, and, and he's going to have great parents and all that kind of stuff. How many good parents here tonight have lost their kids to some bizarre decision-making that they did and have gone down a path, some of them of which there is no return? The things that we do is a path. It's a path, and that path has a destination. Now pay attention to Solomon's next observation. In verse 26, he said, For she has cast down many wounded, yea, many strong men have been slain by her. Many. Many. Solomon debunked the notion that there was nothing unique about what this kid was experiencing. He it may have been unique for him, for the kid, but this experience represents a well-worn path. That path was easy to find. That path was easy to walk. There had been a lot of people up and down that path before this kid ever came along. This experience represents a well-worn path, a path, Solomon said, that leads to death in spite of what the naive kid may have wanted to argue. If Solomon could have called a timeout in this story and gotten this kid's undivided attention, he might have said something along the lines of, you listen here, bud, I hate to break it to you, but there's nothing unique or special or rare about this. You may, you may have never felt this way before, but a lot of other people have. And if, if they were here to tell you their stories, you would think twice about doing what you're about to do. You don't realize it, but you're a part of a herd. You're a part of a crowd. You're part of a flock. There's nothing new here. The outcome is all too predictable. She's done more than capture your imagination. She's writing a script for your future. You're a dead man walking. And driving home the point, Solomon added, her house is the way to hell going down to the chambers of death, a highway, yep, a four-lane interstate with a high-occupancy vehicle lane in it. Again, there's nothing new about this, nothing unique, just another young man who has chosen a path that will take him precisely to where he doesn't want or plan to be. And there's the disconnect. I'm going to take this path and I'm going to do this deed. But when it's over, it's going to leave me in a place I never intended to go. And I can't describe to you how many men and women have sat in my office during the days of the week, whatever day it was, tears streaming down their eyes, fishing out Kleenex one right after another and say, Pastor, I didn't mean for it to go this far. I didn't mean to do this. I didn't know it would turn out this way. And on and on. And it's the same chorus. It's the same chorus sung by the same crowd of people who don't listen. There's a disconnect that every choice you make, everything you do takes you down a path. And at the end of that path, there's a destination. I paused a moment ago and said, I'll continue, but, but now I'm not. I'm going to say now what I was going to say then. 
I've talked to more than one woman who had a child out of wedlock. And I've heard that mother say, I could never teach my daughter about having sex before marriage. I said, why? Because she said, because I failed it. I said, don't you think that'd be all the more reason why you ought to teach your daughter about it? What gave Solomon a license to tell this story? Because he has walked that path 9,000 times, and it ultimately cost him, if you read your Bible carefully, he did not end up the man that he started out as. It got him. It ate him alive. Couldn't help himself. Mind is so imperative that you take the knowledge of the word of God and you bury it deep in your heart. What did David say? I have hidden thy word in my heart. Why? That I might not sin against thee. That's why pastors teach on this stuff and preach this stuff all the time, all the time, all the time. And I stand here behind this pulpit and I watch, watch people summarily get up on Sunday morning and walk right out the door instead of walking down here. I don't get it. I do now because there's a disconnect because everything you just said to me, Pastor Murphy, doesn't apply to me. I'm going to be the one exception to the rule. No, you're The disconnect in Solomon's scenario is easy for us to see, at, at least now. A young man who wanted to live his life to be relationally richer chose a path that would ultimately undermine all of his relationships. A young man who yearned for something good chose a path that led to something not good. A youth striving to prove his independence chose a well-worn path that had the potential to strip him of his independence. There was a disconnect. Solomon saw this from his window. I've seen several disconnects from where I sit as well, and so have some of you. So I submit to you tonight, this isn't new. This is nothing new. We all have a propensity for choosing paths that do not lead in the direction we want to go. I want to focus on how this dynamic plays itself out in our world. Perhaps in your world, let's give some examples. <clears throat> a young woman says, and I've heard him say it, I want to meet a guy and one day marry a great Christian guy who's really got his act together. But she turns around and dates whoever asks her out as long as he's cute. A single guy says, I want to be, I want to be really, I, I want to say this appropriately, we're all adults here tonight, because I want to have a great sex life once I'm married. But he practices with every girl he dates along the way. It's also interesting to me, a study was done a number of years ago that said that most young American men want to marry a virgin, but they don't practice that desire. Because they'll sleep with whoever you understand. A married woman says, I want to have a great relationship with my husband. But then she makes the children a priority over him. A husband says, I want my kids to respect me as, as they grow up. 
while he openly flirts with other women. The young Christian says, I want to develop a deep and lasting intimacy with God. So he gets up every morning early and he reads the newspaper instead of his Bible. Man says, I want to grow old and invest the latter years of my life in my grandchildren, but then he neglects his health. The couple says, we would, and I hear this often, we dedicate them up here. We'd like to, we'd like our children to develop a personal relationship with God and choose friends who have done the same. But then they skip church every other weekend or so to go out of town somewhere. There's a disconnect. We don't understand that what we do today has so much influence on tomorrow. It's the principle of the path. And the road you choose to walk, no matter what road it is, is going to lead to a destination. And oftentimes it leads you to where you don't want to end up at. Newlyweds determined to be financially secure by the time they reach their parents' age, then develop a lifestyle sustained by debt and leveraged assets. A high school freshman intends to graduate with a GPA and, and that will afford him the options as he selects a college, but then he turns around and neglects his studies. Obviously, this list could go on and on and on, and the people the list represents have legitimate goals and oftentimes every good intentions of, uh, intention of reaching them. But like the naive young man in Solomon's story, the paths they choose eventually bring them to a destination that is entirely different from the one they intended. And this isn't rocket science to me, and it, it shouldn't be to any of us sitting here tonight. It shouldn't be rocket science for anybody here tonight. Most everybody in this building has lived long enough to have some degree of understanding about what I'm talking about. We shouldn't need anybody to help us connect these dots for us. For the next moment, you can call me Captain Obvious as you look at the screen. If your goal is to drop two dress sizes, you don't eat lunch every day at a donut shop. Does everybody understand that? Can you apply it to other parts of your life that are far more important? If you desire to remain faithful to your spouse, you don't linger in an online chat room with members of the opposite sex. These aren't pastimes. They're pathways. They lead somewhere. If you don't mind, I'd like to share an illustration with you that Stanley shared in his book. He said, one Wednesday late in the afternoon, I heard a tap on my office door. He said he was at his office desk working on Sunday sermon. He looked up. He saw a friend who did not attend his church appear with a somewhat troubled look on his face and I I know that face he said he was surprised to see him he said I didn't know that he even knew where my office was but there he stood and he said I invited him in to take a seat for the next 30 minutes he shared with me in painful detail about his financial woes and he was in a hole that was getting deeper by the week he, Stanley said, I'm no financial planner, but the whole time my friend was talking, I was thinking, you should have seen this coming. But people don't. That's the point. You don't see it coming. And what you 
couldn't see coming, you should have been prepared for. He said for years they had been living beyond their means, simply put, spending more than they were making, which, by the way, is a path. It is not just a financial decision. A financial decision leads somewhere. And in his friend's case, he had reached his destination. He had traveled that financial path of indebtedness, and now it finally, finally landed him in a, at a destination, and he was shocked by it. He was horrified by it. Everything was fine until his company hit a rough spot and decided there would be no year-end bonuses. But the problem, Stanley said, was that my friend had already spent his. On top of that, they had maxed out a home equity line of credit and at least a car and had one conventional car loan along with other miscellaneous debt. He was in serious trouble. And fighting back his emotion, he confessed he didn't understand how all this happened. And then he played the God card. Why would God let this happen? I have always done my best to provide for my family. Talk about a disconnect. How was God responsible? I mean, I, I've never seen God at a car dealership with somebody and force their wallet out of their back pocket and snatch an ink pen out of their hand and say, yeah, we'll buy that car, and God signs all the papers. Like many people, this man desired one thing, financial security, but headed down a path that would lead him to a very different destination. So as I have said, it is much easier to see these dynamics at work in other people than it is in ourselves. As you listen to, as you listen to my list of things a few moments ago, no doubt specific faces and names came to mind. Did any, Anybody of you recognize people that we just talked about, gave illustrations about? You might even thought that so-and-so needs to hear this. There's probably people sitting here tonight that's thinking right now, along with me, that there's about 20 people I know or more that need to be hearing this right now. And we're right. Before you start putting initials besides specific illustrations that I just gave, perhaps you should pause and maybe do a little bit of self-examination. Are there disconnects in your life? Are there discrepancies between what you desire in your heart and what you're, what you're doing with your life? Is there alignment between your intentions and your direction? In conclusion tonight, when we lived in Youngstown, Ohio, as you know, we started a church there years ago. Um, Sister Murph and I were in separate cars. Um, I was invited to preach for a, a particular pastor. Some of you may remember Brother Hugh Rose. If you remember the Harvest Time radio program UPC had out for a number of years, he was the MC of it. And I preached for him. He pastored in, pastored in Harrison Hills, Ohio. We preached, I believe, a Wednesday, Thursday, Friday there. Uh, or rather, yeah, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And on Friday night, it was like a section youth rally. Church was full. It was a wonderful, wonderful service. 
and Sister Murphy and I left after a little bit of fellowship after church and headed our way back home, as I remember, was two or three hour drive. I was ahead of her, and as we got off the interstate into Boardman, which is a suburb of Youngstown, big four lane highway, as I remember, it had what they call the suicide lane down the middle, so it's five lanes, shoulders in addition to that. There was a bar on one side of the road and another bar club on the other side of the road. And for whatever reason, about a car or two ahead of me, two young ladies ran across the street, going from one bar to the other one across the road. What they didn't know is what happened right in front of me is there was a young man that came out of a parking lot just up a little ways from the bar on the right-hand side, came out of a parking lot in a, a Chevrolet Camaro, had the accelerator to the floor. Back end was doing this and that, and one girl made it, the other one didn't. And I watched with my own two eyes as that car ran into her, hit approximately, the bumper hit just below her knees. And she flew up in the air going head over heels, head over feet, probably 20 feet or more into the air, and then she slammed back down to the pavement. <clears throat> we stopped, and I know nothing about that, but I just couldn't keep driving. As I pulled up and walked, and the crowd was forming, I was one of the first ones there. I started praying immediately, and I'll never remember a young man walked up behind me, and he said, Sir, get out of the way. We don't have time for that. The paramedics are on their way. And... Um, I believe if I remember right, it was her right leg and just below her knee, that bone was completely sticking out the side of her leg. And needless to say, she was in a lot of pain. So traffic stopped, 911 was called. People jumped out of their car. The young lady was lying on the pavement screaming and moaning in horrible, horrible pain. But as I stood there for a few moments, I saw her future. I did, saw her future. She made the decision to run across the street believing that she could do it without being hit by a speeding car. This young lady now was facing surgery and no doubt a long time of rehabilitation and physical therapy. I don't know who she was. I'm not sure where she was intending to go. But I am confident that she did not intend to run out in front of a speeding car. I'm confident of that. But nonetheless, that's the path she chose in the wee hours of that morning. I'm confident that perhaps a long hospital stay was on that list. But this is where all of us have to understand tonight that intentions are of little consequence in a case like this. Direction is everything. Direction determines destination. This is why we cannot afford to live disconnected lives. When we discover those subtle and sometimes not so subtle discrepancies between intent and lifestyle, we need to set up and pay attention. We should break, a ha break the habit. We should break the habit 
of drawing a circle around individual decisions and events and dismissing them as isolated occurrences. These are steps, and they're steps that lead somewhere because life is connected. So, if you've ever gotten lost while driving, and who hasn't, you know that if you backtrack far enough, you can usually get your bearings and be on your way. Worst case, you've wasted a few minutes or even a couple of hours. But when you get lost in life, you can't backtrack. When you get lost in life, you don't waste minutes or hours. You waste an entire season of your life. Choosing the wrong path in life will cost you precious years. Nobody wants to do that. Nobody wants to wake up in your 50s and wish you had taken a different path when you were in your 30s. Nobody wants to arrive at the end of a marriage and wish she had taken a different path during her, her dating years. So think about it. You only get to be 20 once. You only, only get one senior year. You only get one first marriage. The path we choose at those critical junctions doesn't just determine our destination the following year, but for the following season of our lives. So I'm going to ask you once again, what are the disconnects in your life? Are there any? Are there discrepancies between what you desire in your heart and what you're doing with your life? Is there an alignment between your intentions and your direction? So the principle of the path is operating in your life every minute of every day. We pointed that out in our first presentation. You're currently on a financial path of some kind. You are. You're on a relational path of some kind. You're continuing down a moral or ethical path of some kind. You're on a spiritual path. And each of these paths has a destination. My hope is that becoming aware of this powerful, powerful principle, you will have the wisdom to know which path to choose and the courage to take it and stay the course. And everybody said amen. God bless you tonight. Would you stand with me as we pray? Father, tonight we're thankful for the beautiful, beautiful word of God that is truly a lamp to our feet and it is a light to our pathway. And I pray tonight, God, that every person has heard every word here tonight. And I pray that they will get it. I pray that they will apply it. I pray, God, that you would somehow intervene in their mind and help them see that no matter how rosy their future may look right now, it may not be that rosy a year from now and five years from now. We, we have to do better soul searching. We have to be more in tune with you and sensitive to your voice and sensitive to those around us that are wise and seasoned to, to be accountable to, to help us make the right choices, especially in times of our life when we're so vulnerable. I pray in Jesus' name that you would hold this church in the bottom of your hand, and I pray that you would direct it down the path that it should go. I pray, God, that you would give us direction. Help us, God, to follow after your purpose and your will, and we ask it in Jesus' name. And everybody said amen. God bless you. Thank you for being here, and we'll look forward to seeing all of you Sunday. God bless you.